Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio. Now your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Uh, that's correct. Thank you very much, uh, Chadwick, for that introduction. And thank you all for tuning in today. This is truly a uh, an absolute joy to have a Glenda Noyce with me in the studio. Good morning, Glenda. Good morning. Uh, I like to push your <laughs> buttons a little bit. That's necessary. My name is Jacobus Hollowine. I host this program, and I this is a program about health healing and healthy lifestyles. We talk about health for the body, the mind, and the spirit. Today's topic is child abuse. And the reason for that is that April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. And there is a lot of stuff going on that coming to the surface. I, I hope that some of you have become aware of this, uh, maybe in the news, have seen some articles or interviews or shows about it. I highly recommend you do more research on it. And one way to do that is by going to the website from Glenda's work. Glenda is the, uh, Glenda Noyes is the executive director for CASA GAL in Gallatin County right over here. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. GAL stands for Guardians at Lightem. Is These are volunteers, specially trained to do background, to get background information for the judge about the true living circumstances that neglected and abused children have been living in. And they do that by talking to the parents, to the child, to friends, neighbors, friends of the children, teachers, janitors, anybody, trainer, coaches, whoever has seen these children and many times these children are not able to defend themselves in court to speak up for themselves. So the guardians at Lightem will be in the courtroom with the child and speaking for the child and helping the child to word what needs to be said. And this has become a national organization that started in 1977. It was observed by a judge in in Seattle, uh, Judge Sukop, who said, you know, this needs to change because I can't get a clear picture about what's going on with these children. He started a program, pilot program in 1977 in Gallatin County. Judge Joe Gary, who passed away not too long ago, was the first one starting with this program over here in 1986 after he attended some conferences. Anita Naibo was the first volunteer who ended up in the program and becoming the director. She was the first director of the program. She has done it for 30 years. In 2001, Nancy Mitchell joined her in the effort, and they together they co-directed it. They each had their own style, and they have a lot of stories to tell. Uh, but they retired last July, June, July, Glenda Noyes is the director now. She has insights. Of course, she has been involved with children for a long time. Uh, she is the mother of a foster child at this point, a foster mother of a 16-year-old young man. 
And um, in any case, if you want to know more about what is this all about, and if you maybe would like to volunteer for this, to speak up for the children, then uh, these are the things you need to know. Website, Gallatin County, Casa Gal, C-A-S-A-G-E-L, Gallatin County, Casa Gal, dot org. The national organization is Casa for Children dot org. And the telephone number is at the Law and Justice Center for Glenda Noyce's office. The executive director is 406-582-2051, 582-2051. Now, for all of you in Park County, thanks to Glenda, I know who to look for. In Park County, it is Ann Schilling, and Ann Schilling's office for CASA is 222-4902-406-222-4904. And so these are some of the numbers you want to know. And uh, for the rest, I, I would say if you go to the website or give the office a call, you're going to get even more information. Now, I was going to ask you to maybe tell us a little bit about the uh, the list of duties that uh, the volunteers have who joined the program. Sure. Would you mind sharing some of that with us, please? Sure, that would be fine. Um, our our volunteers do initially their their main role is conducting an investigation, um, looking into um, the facts surrounding the situation that led this family into the child abuse and neglect process. Um, much like the list you gave previously, they are um, talking to all those people. They're talking to parents and family members, neighbors, counselors, school um, personnel, teachers, coaches, uh, law enforcement, Child Protective Services, anyone that might be able to um, provide some insight into the life of this child and what they may have been experiencing. Right. Um, they also meet with the child or children in um, in a situation. They visit with them. What's the youngest child you have ended up talking to? Well, we have chi- children on our caseload that come from the hospital. You know, they they're removed from the parents at the hospital, so we can't really talk to them, but we definitely um, visit them in in whatever home they might be in, foster home or kinship placement, um, and then we have serve kids all the way up till eighteen. So, but do you have have you been able to, uh, if you want to get information, have you been able to get that from a two year old? Have you been able to get any information talking to a child, a three year old? What is kind of a young age that you have talked to? Well, you know, I don't like to use the word interview okay. as far as what we do with the kids. Mostly we're interacting with them. Sure. You know, oh, yeah, C- CPS no. is trained to interview as far as the specifics of a situation. And, and because the people that work with my program are volunteers, they're not necessarily skilled in in a way that... If, if a child brought up something that was traumatic right. in, in being able to deal with that with that child and help them process that. So, so we, we don't necessarily want the volunteers to be interviewing them about the nitty gritty details of the case. As far as the child goes, we're more developing a relationship with them. Right. We're, um, spending time with them, 
uh, on a personal level so that we can assess if they may need some other kind of therapy, in our opinion, or if they um, have educational needs. I know the, the guardian on, um, on the case for my child advocated strongly for tutoring that wasn't happening, but he, he saw a need for some specialized math tutoring. And so he, he worked hard, even going to the judge to have that happen. Um, so, so our role is not necessarily finding out the nitty-gritty details of what has happened to the child in the home before they were removed, but establishing a relationship with them going forward so that we can let the judge know, do they need to be in a different placement? Do they need to have have some special services that they're not receiving? Right. So, um, you know, we can go and meet with... Um, a family with a two-year-old or something, and just by interacting with them, maybe see if there's some behavior that's going on that we find alarming right. or concerning, and talk to CPS about getting them into some specialized help that may address that. Hmm. You know, a CPS worker has, you know, 10, 12 case, cases on their caseload. We have one, maybe two. I see. So we're able to spend more individualized time with that child and get to the, know them on a different level and make those recommendations because of that. Right. And I, I know CPS has been, uh, Child Protective Services has been under the gun uh, more and more lately, but they say they're simply understaffed to deal with all the cases. And And I can understand that if you are really into helping families that you uh, that when you get that overwhelmed and you want to do a good job that it can get very frustrating right and sometimes you are also entering situations that are so difficult to be around that some people probably need therapy themselves correct to get, get through all this because it's it can be, if that is not your lifestyle, the way you were raised, and now you are volunteering to help those who need your help, and then you enter situations where there is, the abuse is so bad or the living circumstances are so difficult to witness that it can be something that you, 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 you have sleepless nights. You, you cannot imagine that that is happening in your neighborhood. I have a lot of sleepless nights. Wow. <laughs> um, and that's part of the training that we do with the volunteers is self-care and how to recognize if, if we need to step back or get some help ourselves to um, to process the information and, and the things that we're witnessing and seeing that secondary trauma where where we're, we're experiencing trauma because of someone else's trauma. Yeah. That's a big thing to be aware of and, and to learn how to manage that so that we don't have I, I think CPS workers have a lot of burnout yeah. and um, a lot of that secondary trauma experienced in their lives too. Yes, exactly. Um, the other thing that our volunteers have is access to all court records. Um, you know, if parents often they they undergo a chemical dependency evaluation, um, mental health or psychological evaluations. Um, various various things like that to assess where they are and what their needs will be going forward in order to work towards reunification with their kids. Yeah. And we as guardians have access to all of that information that we can read and, and use in making our recommendations for the children going forward as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
I mentioned it before, but we also write court reports to the judge that include um, a brief history of what brought this family to them. Um, I believe it was Judge Gary or Judge Olson that asked for that to be included. It's just a brief paragraph that reminds them because they're seeing case after case after case as well. So that, you know, the, the petition that comes from Child Protective Services is pages and pages of history, and we summarize it down into a couple paragraphs. Yeah, I saw just, that somewhere, one of the uh, informations, that if you see somebody walking in with just one page, you know you're in good hands. <laughs> but it was something written over here. Right. I'll find it. And so in addition to the case history, we repart- we prepare a report of what we've learned, um, what information might be good for um the judge to have in, in in assessing the situation. Right. And then we also report all of our contacts who we met with, what what they're who they're affiliated with and and how we met with them, if it was in person or over the phone, texting, email, that kind of thing. Right. Um and then we you know, the biggest thing is is building that relationship with that child so that we can say we truly know know them, and have a good understanding of what the needs are in their lives. When you deal with teenagers, is this more they have already been in foster care, or is it possible that an 11, 12, 13-year-old ends up in a situation that was not earlier recognized? Uh, Is child abuse usually happening at a real young age that starts at a young age, or is it possible that it doesn't start until 11, 12, or 13. And I can imagine, I can imagine, Glenda, that it could be a divorce and then the mother gets a new boyfriend or the husband, the father gets a new girlfriend and then all of a sudden things are changing. I, I can understand that part. Right. We definitely have both situations. Okay. We have, you know, kids that... I think 35 of our 81 cases are under five years old. Okay. Um, and then the age range branches out from there um, up until 18. A lot of the cases we see have some child protective services history. You know, they've had various reports over time. Some were substantiated, some were not. The, um, um, you know, the, I think that's a lot of times the frustration where – there's a significant history, but none of them have ever been able to be substantiated for one reason or another, and therefore CPS hasn't ever intervened before. I see. Um, and then, you know, we have cases, I, I have one in particular that comes to mind that um, the child is an older teen, and, and this is the first time that they've that CPS has actually been involved in their life. Not that there might not have been reports before, but it's the first time they've ever intervened. So it it really varies. Um, You know, you might have teenage kids where the parents, parent or parents just became involved in, in drug use. And so that, that neglect is just now becoming a problem or, or they've skated under the radar all this time. I, see. I, I think the actual physical abuse cases, probably the ones that are coming to mind for me are younger children. So I think that's, you know, that is probably more often happening. Yeah. Um, the actual physical abuse cases are happening earlier on. Not always, but right. a good percentage of the time. Hmm. Wow, folks. So. Glenda Noyes, my guest, the executive director of the Gallatin Valley Casa 
GAL program, Court Appointed Special Advocate, Guardian at Leidem. The telephone number where you can reach her is 582-2051, 582-2051. She is in the um, Law and Justice Center on South 16th in Bozeman. There is also a program in Park County for those of you who have witnessed or are concerned about child abuse, child neglect, and perhaps you either have to story, have a story to tell or you would like to volunteer yourself to help these children in need, then you can contact, in Park County, you can contact Ann Schilling, and Ann's number is 406, <coughs> and then 222-4904, 222-4904 for Ann Schilling in Park County. Uh, was there another point on the volunteer uh, schedule that you would like to bring up? Well, I was just going to give some examples of things that, that the CASAs do with yeah. their family. For example, one family that we have has three children, and the guardian on that case is amazing. And so in a month's time, each weekend she takes them individually, one of them to do something. And then sometimes she does something with all three of them together. But she's really made a big effort to to get to know each child individually, you know, take one of them to the to the museum one weekend and the next weekend she might take one to play laser tag or things like that so that she can get to know each of them individually. And so, so, you know, she definitely probably exceeds that 10 hours a month because she spends a lot of individual time with that family. Um, You know, I know that one of our guardians that has a two-year-old on her case, she's developed a real good relationship with the foster family and that child. And so she is able to take him and go to books and babies at the library or things like that and um, give the foster family a little bit of respite and um, also establish um, a real neat relationship with that little one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a lot, of course, it's more difficult with, with a family with young children to really established that but she spent enough time with them that he's real comfortable with her and she's able to do that with him Mm. um i know that we have another one that the guardian actually supervised a high school dance just so this child would have the opportunity to uh to attend it and so that was really special for her and she helped her get you know found a dress for her to wear and and just made it real extra special Mm. for her so kind of went above and beyond we teased her a little bit about hanging out at the high school dance, but um, it was something real, uh, you know, kind of above and beyond to do for that child so that she'd have that opportunity. So we have really special people working as volunteers. So is it realistic to say that it is at least 10 hours of volunteer time if you are busy with court cases and uh, you, you also want to be in the life of the child, and I'm not saying that, uh, that this is negative. This is extremely positive, but at the same time, I realize that if you get as a volunteer about one case a month, perhaps is that true? About one case a month? Well, I, a case, the average length of a case is 18 to 24 months. Oh. So you get a case and you stay with that child from beginning to end. Oh, that's why it comes in so. that you can be in the life personally right. of that child as well as well. Right. 
And there is that no conflict of interest? No, because you are there for the child. Right. right. And and the CASA or the guardian ad litem stays in that li- that child's life until they have permanency. Okay. And permanency can be any number of things. It can be being reuni- reunified with their parent. It can be um, if a parent's rights are terminated and the child um, needs to find a home, then, you know, either they're, they're placed with a kinship placement, which is a family member or sometimes right. a close friend where they um, are either adopted or go into a guardianship or the child is placed up for adoption after parental rights are terminated and adopted by an outside party. Mm-hmm. So there, there are lots of options at the end, but that CASA stays with that child from the very beginning yeah. until permanency is achieved. Okay. So. All right. Okay, when we come back, folks, uh, with Glenda Noyes, uh, we're going to talk about the ACES program, which is also very important to understand that you uh, know what that is. ACES is uh, where you talk about the effects, the long-term effects that abuse may have had on a child. And uh, this is a very touching uh, topic, but uh, I think that we definitely need to know more about this. So please uh, stay tuned for that when we come back. We're going to take a short break. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. We will be right back. Gesundheit with Jacobus, every Saturday morning from 8 to 11. 